Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Have you ever been so tired that you're not just tired in your body? There's a certain kind of tiredness for your body, but then there's a tiredness for your mind? Have you been so tired that you're not just tired in your mind, you're tired in your bones and in your blood? I think maybe that's how Moses was feeling when he went up on the mountain the second time. See, there's a, there is a emotional output level that can just make us so tired in his book, Margin, Richard Swenson writes this. He says, of the four margins, emotional energy, physical energy, time, and finances, margin in emotional energy is paramount. When we are emotionally resilient, we can confront our problems with a sense of hope and power. When our psychic reserves are depleted, however, we are seriously weakened. Emotional overload saps our strength, paralyzes our resolve, and maximizes our vulnerability. Have you ever been tired for a long, long time? Think about how Moses was doing. Okay, so we're going to look at the time from the time that he was called by God to go to Pharaoh right up into the time he went up on the mountain for the second time. Think about just the emotional output that it takes to just respond courageously. Moses, if you remember, did not want to go to Pharaoh. God had to kind of scare him into it almost. But even then, there's an emotional output that comes from, I got to do something hard that I'm a little bit afraid to do. And then even as he goes to Pharaoh, there's this back and forth because Pharaoh is stubborn and Pharaoh is ornery and Pharaoh is, you know, kind of dense, it seems like. He's not getting the picture that he's not God. And there's an emotional output. Sometimes when we're dealing with just really difficult people that are really stubborn and don't seem to want to get it. So Moses has got this, again, emotional output. And then finally, Pharaoh lets him go, and and they're headed over toward the Red Sea. And this is what leaders know. Leaders figure out after a while that sometimes you just got to pretend you know what's going on. And that's what Moses is doing. He leads him right up to the edge of the Red Sea, and he's like, don't worry. It's going to be fine. God's going to do something. He has no idea what God's going to do. And then God says, um, raise your staff. And then the Red Sea parts, and they walk right through. But there's an emotional output in the fear of the unknown. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And then, even as they get across the Red Sea, and now they're, you know, they're going toward the promised land, there is a bunch of complaining, a bunch of accusing, a bunch of slandering against Moses And Aaron, and they didn't do anything wrong. They just did exactly what God told them to do. But now all the people, they're getting ready to stone them. They're getting ready to kill them. And there's an emotional output level that is necessary to resist voices of accusation and slander. And then, uh uh-oh, they go to war. The, The Amalekites attack. And these people that have never been in war before, they've been slaves their entire existence, now they gotta figure out war. And so Moses has got that stress and worry on his mind. And then we find out in Exodus 18 that one of Moses' jobs was he would just sit in a booth all day long while all sorts of people came up to him with their problems. 
And Jethro, his father-in-law, eventually says, yeah, you shouldn't do that anymore. But can you imagine? There's a million people in that community. And they're just coming all day long. Have you ever dealt with other people's problems? I mean, two or three, dude, it'll knock you out for a week. And he's got all these people coming. There's, there's, a, there's a sucking of life out when you're... I'm sure he, he cares about them all, but there's a sucking of life out when you're dealing with people's problems again and again. And then he goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, the people do the very thing they're not supposed to do. In the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. They make another god. They make this little golden calf. And they say, hey, man, look at this. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Well, that's treachery to Moses. It's treachery to God. You know, you've experienced this before. When you feel betrayed, when you feel like someone has really turned against you, there's an emotional output of just carrying that that is so hard. And then Moses comes down, and he sees it, and he's all mad. And so get this. This old man, he pulverizes this golden calf, he grinds it down to powder. He makes them eat it because he wants it to come out in their excrement because that's what he thinks about it. But how many know when you're really angry, like you're just pouring out energy when you're angry. You can't be angry too long without getting tired. Plus, he expended all the energy of pulling that thing down. Then it's time for him to go <clears throat> get refreshed because what he just did was break the Ten Commandments and he needs to renew that. He needs to fix that somehow. And so he's going to head on up but right before he does because of this golden calf. Now there's a plague. We all know about plagues. You know how that goes. That wasn't what he wanted, but now there's an emotional output because friends are dying. People that he didn't want to see go are going now. And this dude is just fed up. And here's what he's got to do now. He's got to go ask God, Please don't leave us, because God is so angry. God is so upset about this. He's like, are you, are you kidding me? I did all these signs and wonders, and now these people are turning to other gods already? I'm giving them my law, and they're already turning to other gods? And God's just, you know, he's, he's fed up with it a little bit, and, and Moses is like, oh, Lord, I know. Don't send an angel. We want you. Moses is smart enough now. Do not send us into that land with just an angel. Look, we got in this thing for God and God alone. God, you're going to have to go with us. And God, okay, Moses. I'll go with you. I will not send you with just an angel. I'll just go with you and me. Now, if I'm Moses right now, I'm thinking, I could use a break. And I'd probably be like, God, can you, I know Hawaii's not a real big thing yet, but could we just go there or something? We need some R&R. We need to rest. We need to recuperate. This has been a long trek since I went back to Egypt to get these people. But here's what Moses says. He says, Lord, before you send me back down there, I need more of you. Exodus 33, 17. God is agreeing. Yes, Moses, I'll stick with you. He says, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight and have known me by name. Then Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. He says, God, I, you've already revealed me, yourself to me in some ways, but I need to see more of you. So now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. He says, Moses, you are right. You need to come apart for a period of time for, to hear my voice, to hear me speak to you, to get better revelation on who I am 
right in the middle of a time where you might be tempted to think they need you the most, I want you to come up here. And, and you know, if you think about it, if, if I'm one of the Israelites down on the ground, I'm like, where's this guy going? Are you serious? Like, this is a mess. We just had a plague. All these rebellious people building, you know, golden calves. How can he leave right now? Verse five, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, this is God showing Moses a fuller revelation of how awesome and how good and how true he is. It says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions and sin, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. After God reveals himself to Moses in this way, we see a few things happen. First, he reviews the covenant. He reviews the promises with Moses. He says, Moses, I need you to remember what the, what the deal is, what the promises are. Here's all that I want to do for you and your people. And even right in that text, he convicts Moses of sin. He's like, yeah, the Lord is slow to anger, Moses. You weren't so slow to anger. That's going to get you in trouble later, but I need to talk to you about your sin before you go back down. And I need you to be able to get vision for what's next, Moses. I need to remind you. We've talked about it before, but I need to remind you as you go back down the mountain. And by the way, he goes in another section, I want you to be celebrating more than you are. You should be having more festivals. You should be having more Sabbaths because you need to rest and just celebrate the goodness of God more than you are. Moses, like many of us, dude, he was just overblown. He was just carrying too much. And God makes provision for us in God's word. He says, hey, at least once every seven days, I want you to get off the grid. I want you to not work. I want that to be a sign to the rest of humanity that as for you, you know you, you maybe should work, but you trust your God. And I want you to get away. I want you to come up the mountain on a day-to-day basis and talk to God. We call that a quiet time. You know about that. You've heard about that probably before. If you haven't, it just means I'm going to have some time that is only about God. It means I'm not going to be watching TV. I'm not going to be driving the car. It's not that you can't talk to God when you're doing those things, but that is not the same thing as a Sabbath time in the day with God. And then there's a Sabbath time in the week, which is just one day a week. I'm going to shut everything down. And then there's even, you guys, you do this, hopefully, you abandon everything annually and you go on vacation. You should get away from everything, and you, you sh- try to shut down. Now, today, work will follow you. It'll follow you right there in your phone. But at least, hopefully, you try to get away from time to time. I hope through this message, if you are underrested, you'll receive a challenge from God. This was right after he revealed his nature about being loving and kind and forgiving. He says, hey, Moses, I want you guys to make sure you're taking all the different kind of Sabbaths that I've told you about. So, I'm not well. I'm not doing good. Some of you heard a little bit about this. I don't want any other rumors to spread. So I just want to tell you, a few weeks ago, I just began to develop something that has never happened to me before. I would describe it as, and I'm not trying to hijack this category from anybody, but it feels like a little PTSD to me. I'm, I'm not doing good on the inside. There's a, there's a strange, it is not rational, okay? Like, I'm, in my head, I'm a tough guy, all right? I know that's, maybe that's part of this, you know, humbling, but... I'm a tough guy, and so things like looking at a report shouldn't make me feel like fight or flight. And yet, even just opening an email, it was getting to the point a few weeks ago where it's like, I can't do this. And that's an alarm bell for me because I remember pastors of mine getting to that point, and I didn't really understand what they were talking about. Oh, baby, I understand it now. Really, what's happened is for too long, 
I've carried too much. And so I went and told the staff, and I went and told the elders about it. I was like, guys, I, I don't know, man. This looks like a different kind of a sign for me. Like, I, I take breaks, but this seems a little bit worse than it's ever been. They said, Carter, um, you need to do whatever you got to do to get better. So just do it. I really believe God has been telling me over the past several years, you need to find a time to take a sabbatical. You need to find a time to do this. And you know, there's never a good time. There's never a good time. So I need you to see this from my perspective. For me, um, this started a long, long time ago when we started doing this church thing. And there's some unique things that have been a part of that season that I want to share with you today. I think you'll relate to some of them. But what I especially want to communicate is the uniqueness that comes from being a pastor. And you're going to learn stuff about me, and you're going to learn stuff about every pastor you've ever had or ever will have. I know that pastors get a lot of bad press. That's because the news only cares about the bad things that once in a while happen. But I got to tell you, there's millions of pastors that are killing it all the time. And I want to let you, I want to pull behind the curtain a little bit, invite you in. Because if I'm going through this thing, I want you with me. I want to invite you to be part of the healing. But it's going to be uncomfortable for me. I just got to tell you, it's going to feel a little bit weird. Because I'm not supposed to say the kinds of things I'm about to say. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit immodest, if that's all right. All right, like, pastors, they want to appear like they're trying to do well and not get in the flesh all the time and, you know, behave just like you would want to do the right thing in front of your kid. Even if you don't feel like doing it, you still should model the right thing. But pastors aren't supposed to talk about, oh, this is why it's hard and this, these are the difficult things I'm going through. Because like, hey, shut up, dude. Your reward's in heaven. Just zip it. You know, be a good pastor. And there's an appropriateness to that from time to time. But pastors won't tell you the things that I'm about to tell you. So here are four reasons many pastors uniquely need a longer season of rest and drawing near to the Lord. And it's an acronym, of course. I'm going to start with R. And that is routine. The routine. There is a weight just to the routine of having to every week, sometimes a couple of times a week, prepare a message that is good spiritual nourishment from God's word, the study that has to go in. That's about 10 to 20 hours per week just to mine that good stuff out. And then you got to think about discipling people. And you got to like talk to people about Jesus and see them come to, look, come to the Lord. But first, they got to trust you before they're going to trust Jesus often. And so you have to spend time developing relationships. And then you've got to encourage them that it's, maybe church is a good idea. And so you've got to spend a lot of time. You've got to take them out to lunch. You've got to go places with them. And then while all that is happening, you have to develop leaders and you have to develop an organization, which means first you have to figure out the organization. You have to figure out how organizations work. And then you got to find all the things that have to happen and you got to train people to do them. And that takes a long, long time. And it's not that it's any of them are particularly bad, but the routine again and again and again and again every week is pretty hard. And when you, when you project into the future, you're like, this is pretty much all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This is how it's going to be until I just die, you know, or, you know, somebody kicks me out. One of the two. And that week-to-week -week process has been happening for me since 2007. That's how many weekends ago when I started. And what happened was we brought a young adult group together in 2007. And then after a couple years, now I had to prepare all the messages the same way. I had another job. I was bivocational. I still had to do all that stuff. But plus, I'm trying to bring these people together and preach to them God's word. And then we 
we're going to go plant this church. And that's what we do. You ever tried to plant a church, those of you who weren't there? You know how hard that is? You know how hard it is to convince people that this is a great idea, and then, then you got to convince them to get up at four in the morning and drive the trailer somewhere and hammer the whole thing together? You know how hard that is? Some of you know. Yeah. Man, it's hard. And then we do that, and then you get to year six. Now, the, the experts will tell you, pastors, man, you better take a sabbatical every six to seven years if you want to stay going well. And right about year six, we merged two churches. And, oh, you can't take a sabbatical now? Like, that's way too hard, man. You need to be there, Carter. And so we do that, and, you know, there's, there's just not a good time now. It's, it, it's fresh. I'm thinking every year, yeah, I should really take a sabbatical. A lot of my friends are taking sabbaticals. Why, are, why am I not doing this? And we go and go and go and go. And then finally, I'm like, you know, whew, I think it's about time. It's coming up here. I can feel it. And then COVID. COVID happens. I can't leave during COVID. What I need you to understand is it's not any one of those things. It is the constancy of those things. Do you know how many weekends that is? That is 728 weekends. Not that anyone's counting. <laughs> That's a lot in a row. Okay? And there's just a weight that comes long term. And it feels a little bit like, I'll give you an illustration. When I was a kid, we used to go to this place called The Pit behind Warren High School. I don't know if anybody remembers that, okay? Kind of trippy that you let, they let you swim in it. But um, we would go to The Pit, and there's this pier out, you know, in the middle, and you'd swim toward it. And it's, you know, it's, it's like brownish water. But we would swim out there, and we'd play tag. Now, you could swim under the buoys as a part of this pier, all right? That was how you, if you were smart, that's what you're going to do, so you didn't get tagged. You didn't get up on the pier because then everybody knows where you are. So you just kind of stay down. If you go down a few feet, people can't see you because the water's so dirty. But I'm swimming under these buoys, you know, and you're, you can rest because you're hanging on to the side of the buoy. And then you go down again, and you go to another one, and you're hanging on the side of the buoy. That's a little bit what it feels like even when I rest. It's like hanging on to the side of the buoy. It's not the same thing as going on the beach and laying down. You know what I'm saying? It's not the same thing as actually getting an actual rest. So even when I go on vacations, yes, it is awesome, but it's still not the same thing as coming to the, off the pier, out of the water, and being able to actually tangibly rest. Here's what you got to understand. It's been a long time since I went up the mountain in an extended way and had time with Jesus in an extended way. And you know, I'll just shoot straight with you because I'm trying to be transparent here. I love my church, and I love being your pastor, and I love that, you know, that we get to be together all the time. I, I love it. Just like you love your kids, there's a certain piece of that that God gives pastors. And that is a part of it, man. And it's wonderful. But you know, two years ago for our 20th anniversary, my wife and I went to Jamaica and we didn't bring the kids. Why? Because it's a different thing if you bring the kids. When you bring the kids, wherever you take the kids, it's about the kids. Like, yes, we're still together, but it is not the same thing. And we had to go to Jamaica to remind ourselves, remember when we started, this was just us. This was what this was about. And I need to go up the mountain and see Jesus because when I started, that's what this was about. It was just about me and Jesus. So I need you to hear, it's not that, I'm, not that I'm asking you or telling you, hey, I need to go take a break. I need to go see Jesus. That's what this is about. So I'm gonna take a sabbatical. I'm gonna take a sabbatical for three months starting today. And it's gonna go through August 9th, and I'm going to go up the mountain 
figuratively speaking. And just like Moses, I'm going to say, God, let's review the promises. Let's review the covenant. Let's review my sin. Let's take some stuff out that I've just been going too fast to be able to see. Lord, I need to ask questions about, am I doing this right? Are there the things I'm missing? What's next for fierce? What's next for me? I got to find out. So there's routine. That's an easy one. Then it's letter E, and that's expectations. And this one's going to be a little harder, harder to say at least. And when I say expectations, it's really, you know, it's the number of expectations. And I don't really know that there's any other profession in the world that is the same thing as being a pastor. Okay. Maybe customer service people, but here's the difference. Customer service people, you do have a lot of expectations you have to deal with, but you're getting paid to deal with those expectations. Pastors are actually not paid to deal with people's expectations. They're paid to teach the word of God and help people know Jesus Christ. And see, the thing is, I don't know if you notice this or not, because you have it in your own life, Everybody has expectations. Everybody has things that they want, whether they're loud or soft about it. So that makes it a little bit hard. And check it out. In the church, in this family, I wear multiple hats. Sometimes I'm boss. Sometimes I'm pastor. Sometimes I'm just brother. You know what I'm saying? And, everyone, and, and you know, I, I want a family relationship where I feel like I'm friends with everybody. But sometimes that creates expectations because people thought I was going to do this for them or they thought I would do that for them. And the weight, you've, you've had expectations. People place expectations on you, right? Okay, multiply that out. Multiply that by 50. How's that feel? Even if you have people that are, you know, just a little bit opinionated. How many a little bit opinionated? A little bit opinionated. Even if you just have three or four of those folks, that can feel very weighty. And here's how it will often work, because most of you, I don't want you to feel weird about your relationship with me, because you're not asking too much, and you're not having unreasonable expectations. And again, it's not any one single thing. It's all of it together, because some will come and they'll be like, Pastor, I love you. I love the church. And they, they do, and they, they support everything that God is doing. They're saying, but can I just tell you just, just one thing? And they should be able to tell me one thing, because the church is central to their life. They should be able to enjoy it. But when you have multiple ones of those, and then you mix in this other weird dynamic where people are, I don't know if you notice or not, but not everybody in church is particularly healthy. And so you have people relating passive aggressively. Um, okay, so that, that creates two problems in my head. Okay, the first problem is you're relating passively aggressively, and that's poor discipleship. Like you honestly just need to be challenged with God's word to grow up and really, you know, people don't know any better. Maybe that's how it was modeled to them, but that's manipulation. That's wrong. And then there's whatever they're trying to get my attention about in a strange, not direct way. That's hard. And then you have people that are just kind of like, they decide, they come in, and they decide the pastor's their rival. I don't know. I just wanted to be your friend. <laughs> but, but, but somehow, like, there's a competition that they're doing with me. I'm like, whatever, son, I don't get it. Um, and then there's other people who they're just a little bit, I don't know why it is, but they're a little bit envious or something. And it comes off as mad or leaky into my spirit. And these kinds of things, they're just endless and endless and endless. Think about masks for a second. One easy example. Well, you know, in the past six months, some of you thought one way about masks. Some of you thought another way about masks. And then the church probably did something in the middle about masks. 
And the problem with, with church people's expectations is they can instantly make them spiritual. They can instantly like, and I've got the authority of God behind this. And if you don't agree, you hate people and don't care about people's health or you're watering down the gospel. Wow. Okay. Is it really that serious? But that's how we can get in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's not just in this church. It's in all churches. Do you see how that many expectations, baby, I don't mind carrying them. It's just a lot for a long time. Okay. And they have people that are mad at you for a couple of years, even though you've done everything you can to try to encourage them and build them up. I got, I got to tell you, here's what makes it even worse. Nobody is more disappointed in your pastor than your pastor. And I don't mean that in a self-pity way, but I got, I got to live with me, okay? Like y'all, y'all only have to see me from time to time and you don't see all my sin. You don't see all the ways that I'm still, I'm like, are we, am I still dealing with this? Why aren't I further? By now, why didn't I memorize Philippians yet? God, why don't I see more of your heart? Why, why can't I help more people? And of course, some of that's the enemy, some of that's sin. But all I'm telling you is there's lots of expectations that are going to hit every pastor you've ever met because that's just part of it. And it's immodest to say it, but it is what is going on. Here's the next one. So we had R-E-S, study. Part of a pastor's job is to study. Is to learn stuff so they can give you good stuff. And this is going to be a little shorter section because it's really easy. But just like, you know, if you become a Christian, you start to get books. People just give you books often when you become a Christian. And, you know, they stack up on your nightstand or wherever they stack up. Well, just like you, I've got those books and I've got hundreds and hundreds of books that I actually do want and I want to read because you ought to be well-fed. Like, I really believe the best thing for you is for you to be growing, for you to be, like, being given awesome, good, godly wisdom. But I can't really give that to you if I don't go into the study and deeply dive into the treasures of God's word and not be trying to, like, keep a couple marriages together in the meantime. And not be like having to run off because so-and-so is in trouble and they're having a hard week and then this volunteer needs corrected and then we need to actually remove this person and hire somebody new. All that stuff is happening at the same time. And so what I need is I need to go be able to tap the riches of God's word. You've, you've seen this in your own life. Okay, give you an example. You probably could describe to me when you leave your neighborhood or you leave your, your apartment complex without even thinking about it. You could tell me because you've driven 20 miles an hour through that place. You could tell me, well, without thinking about it, I know there's a tree over here and there's, there's you know, a little creek over here and there's some kind of mud over here. I don't know what that is. And you, you could just describe it off the top of your head to me. But if you took an hour and just walked that thing really slowly, you'd know all kinds of stuff that you didn't know. You'd know about, wow, oh, there's this kind of floor over here and I didn't even know those animals were in this state. And you know, you'd see you know, these kinds of, like, wow, I didn't you know, appreciate the beauty of this tree or whatever. You'd learn all kinds of stuff because you just went slow. My friends, I need a little time to go slow in God's word because you deserve better. You deserve to be well-fed. And if I don't, you're going to experience diminishing returns. So I need to go deep. I need you to pray for me while I do it. Here's the fourth one, and this is one of the hardest. It's trauma. If for no other reason, pastors need some time away because of trauma. Now, everybody's experiencing trauma. You're experiencing trauma. I wish you could have a sabbatical. If you want me to talk to your boss, I'll do it in three months if you want, if you want me to. Okay? 
I'll try it. Because you're experiencing trauma. Think about what it's like when you experience trauma, not firsthand, but secondhand. Think about, you know, someone in your life is really going through. Their marriage is really, really hard, or they've got a kid in the hospital, or there's something, you know, they lost a job, and there's something about, because you care about them, you're not in the center of the trauma, but you're just off the trauma. You're experiencing discouragement. You're experiencing exasperation. You're praying for them. You're like, God, why don't you move on their behalf? You're experiencing all of that secondhand trauma. Well, that's what I'm experiencing with a lot of people. So think about your biggest trial lately, if I know about it. There's a lot of people like you that you don't know that I, that I know their stuff too. I'm just as involved with them as I have been with your stuff in the past. And dude, it's just a lot. I think if, if there's even anything you could compare to it, maybe you could compare you know, ER nurses or EMTs. They're, you know, they're dealing with trauma every day. But can I tell you the difference? The trauma that they're dealing with, though it is physical and it's firsthand, it's only a few hours or a couple days at most. They're patching them up and they're getting them out. Like that's how that's working. They don't love them in the same way. They haven't walked with them. They weren't there at their wedding. They weren't there to counsel them out of that really hard time. See, pastors are embedded in the lives of their people in a way that just, it doesn't exist anywhere else as far as I can find so far. And that trauma, there's just a lot. And you can handle it for a while. And you can handle it year after year after year. But after a while, it becomes hard to bear. The devil hates your pastor. He hates your pastor's family. We've got to just be a place where it's okay to say, we need to take that soldier off the field for a little while. It's unconscionable to leave them on forever. Even soldiers get to leave deployment after a while. They get to come home for a little while. They can even go back out, but they need to be able to come home for a little while. That's why we need to do this. But here's what I want to tell you. Please don't pity your pastor and don't pity any other pastors. We do not need your pity. Like that doesn't actually help. Here's what I'm hoping for, really. Hoping for empathy. And empathy is a little bit different than sympathy. Empathy means, oh, I've contemplated that and now I feel like I understand a little bit more. Maybe it'll cause me to pray for you a little bit more. Like I, I'm, I'm connecting with that a little bit more. Sympathy can be a little different. Sympathy sometimes can mean that we are somehow saying, and you're a victim. And you're part of a thing that should not be. I just got to tell you, yo, actually, this is exactly how it should be, or worse. Like, I knew that when I raised my hand to be a pastor. I understood. Like, hey, if you were a pastor in the first century church, you're the first to die. Like, it is reasonable that pastors go through all kinds of trauma and difficulty and help carry others' burdens. That's what they're supposed to do. That's the job. And that's fine. And Danny said, oh, please don't pity me. Don't suggest that there's something wrong with the situation. All I need to do is go up the mountain. And I'll be fine because Jesus heals people. Right before COVID, I had something wrong with my, you know, I had like a hiatal hernia right around my belly button. So I went into the dock and they punched a bunch of holes in my stomach, dude. And I was like, what? Like literal holes in your stomach. And that took a, a little while to get over because I, you know, I was 42 at the time and maybe I just don't heal as fast. And so it was, it was hard, you know, moving around it all at first. But after a while, they were fine. You know, six weeks and they're fine. I'll be fine. 
And it, it'll be over quickly. But I need to go get some healing and restoration. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off until the 9th of August, and I'm going to study. And my family and I, we're going to go on some trips, and I'm going to go do something educational. I'll take a class. I'll do things that are rejuvenating and exciting to me. And I'm going to come back, and the poison is going to be sucked out. And the vision is going to be clearer. And I'm going to be able to go a lot more rounds. And we're going to be able to go to the next level as a church. Who knows what I can't see right now because I'm just too dented a little bit. God's going to rip out all the dents. And the staff and the elders are going to run the church for the next three months. And they're going to kill it because they kill it anyway. They're already killing it. And it's going to be just fine and dandy. And what's going to happen is y'all are going to watch some of the best of videos of Carter preaching. I asked a lot of people on social media, and they're like, these are your best sermons. We're going to have stuff like pull down the shades. We're going to have stuff like comparison. We're going to have all kinds of stuff that y'all said was really good. And then we're going to have some live preachers as well. But here's what you can do for me. Are you ready for what you can do for me? First, show up. It's easy to be like, ah, Carter's not going to be there. All we're going to get is video, Carter. Yeah, but you need to hear it anyway. Can we just be honest? All right? You ain't that you know, sanctified yet. You need to hear it. So you might as well come on back and hear it. Plus, it was good then, but you already forgot it. So why don't you just come back and hear it? You're only obeying like a third of it. So you know, just come on and, and let's see it. But second, I need you to be intentional with guests because I'm not here to do so. I need you to love one another and take care of one another because I'm not here to do any of that and I would have been doing that. And I want to invite you on the journey to pray with me. So there's a web page on the website right now, fierce.church slash sabbatical. And on it, I've got a prayer feed that you can subscribe to and it'll be updated throughout the three months. I just want to ask you to partner with me in prayer. I might send out some videos. We'll see. I, you know, just to keep you updated, we'll see if that's something that's good for my soul then or not. But I really want to ask you to go on this journey with me, church, because it can be a very different sabbatical if y'all are praying. And I give you a lot of specifics of what you can pray for there. Plus, I also put some other resources about margin and rest for you because I don't think I'm the only one that should be getting rest this summer. So you'll like that. If you want to send me an email, that's awesome. Just know it's going to go to my assistant first. And, and if it's like an encouraging thing, if it's a problem, I promise I'm not going to get it. <laughs> Someone will get it, but I'm not going to get it, okay? I only get encouraging stuff for the next three months, so that's how that's going to work. Here's what I want to do. Can I, one more challenge. You can, in just one second, the elders are going to come up and they're going to pray and y'all can like point your hand. Let me just ask you, Guys, this is the actual story. I just told you what the real story is. There's no controversy. There's no like hidden sin or something like that. I'm just, I would much rather just tell you everything on the front end. I'm never going to hide stuff from you. I'm just telling you this is what it is. There's nothing else. There's, if you want to spread gossip, gossip what I just said. Okay? That's what the real story is. Let me invite the elders to come on up. Let them have them lead us in prayer. And if y'all would just agree in prayer, maybe point a hand or do whatever you want to do. Um, by the way, if you don't know our elders, we got Jake Winter right here. Here's Andrew and Martin. They are candidates to become elders. So that's a pretty big deal. And then Nathan is going to 
lead us. Please agree as they pray. All right, son. Check, check. All right. Hey, Carter, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being so transparent and real. And just to church affirm, this, there's nothing wrong here. This is just right. It's biblical, and it's overdue. So if you feel comfortable, please, you know, point your hands over here. We're going to lay our hands on this man, and we're going to pray for him. Lord Jesus, we lift Carter up to you. We thank you for um, the leaders and the people and the, and the systems in place in this church that are going to go ahead and take, take care of this place for you. And we just pray that you, you give him, uh, you draw him so much closer to you over the next three months here. We ask you to um, reveal new, new things about you. We, none of us will ever know you fully, and we just ask you to give him new insights, new, new vision, new answers to questions he's had. Um, let him be able to study and rest and recover, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.